So we're Exodus 6, so you can turn with me there. And I'm not going to, I normally read the entire chapter, but this chapter kind of breaks up into two, uh, two sections. And it's, it's interesting, it's the only, only chapter in the book of Exodus that does this. So uh, we left off, if you remember, uh, in chapter 5, look at verse... Uh, 22 and 23. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And neither have you delivered your people at all. So just a a summary slide from chapter 5 as we move into chapter 6. F.B. Meyer, who was uh, a, uh, a British Baptist pastor and theologian uh, in his commentary on uh, Exodus and this particular chapter, said, The agony of soul through which Moses passed must have been as death to him. He died to his self-esteem, to his castle building, to pride in his miracles, to the enthusiasm of his people, to everything that a popular leader loves. As he lay there on the ground alone before God, wishing himself back in Midian. And we'll see that tonight. And thinking himself hardly used, he was falling as a grain of wheat into the ground to die, no longer to abide alone, but to bear much fruit. The story of the Exodus is of God's deliverance of his people, but it's of God's deliverance of his people through a deliverer. And this is as much about Moses as it is about the millions of Israelis. So we're going to learn a great deal about this great man, one of the three great men mentioned in the, in the Old Testament as we go through uh, this book. And we'll begin to learn. In fact, his, his genealogy is mentioned beginning in, in, chapter four, in chapter 6 and verse 14, which is interesting that it falls right in the middle of his, um, again, his choosing to disagree with the Lord. So he spent 40 years in, Mid- in Midian. Um, and remember now, he was a prince of Egypt for 40 years. And perhaps he was thinking that his his prospects or his purpose in life was that Yahweh had forgotten about him. And uh, so what we see here, and we're going to see it time and time again. In fact, if we move from the book of Exodus to the other three books of the Pentateuch, we will see that God uh, God is teaching Moses all the way to the time that Moses dies. This is our God. This is the way we learn. And he, if you're a believer, he teaches us all the way until we leave this earth. So we'll never reach a time when we can check the box and say, I've learned everything. I've done everything. Never. And we see that so vividly in the life of Moses. So he uses adversity uh, to train uh, Moses to trust in him. He used adversity in the life of his son. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. 
<clears throat> and of course, we don't. None of us like adversity. We don't. Uh, we don't like confrontation. We don't like adversity. We want everything to be smooth. We want all the waves to just kind of, you know, lap up at our feet and so forth. But uh, and you folks know it as well as anyone else that that's not God's purpose. Um, verse eight. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, this is the, the human side, the humanity of Christ. Now, they can't, they're indivisible. Quite often we think, okay, he's 100% God, 100% man, and somehow there's a segmentation. No. But the interesting thing is that the scripture reminds us that Jesus himself had to learn an obedience that was unique to him as the God-man. You and I will never be exposed to that. We do have to learn obedience, but not in this manner. So this is the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, which he suffered by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, okay, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And so Jesus learned in that we learn and we can share in the obedience that he has with his father. That's what Moses is learning now. It's a hard lesson. But uh, the Lord does strengthen him during this time. So back to the book of Exodus at the close of this chapter. He says, neither have you delivered your people at all. So Moses wrongly assumed that Pharaoh was going to easily deliver or let the people go to, to break the bonds of slavery and that they would be ushered out of Egypt with great accolade. And that obviously didn't happen. In fact, even when Pharaoh reluctantly agrees to let the people go, he still follows them. So <clears throat> we all think that situations in life will come easily. And we all think that solutions will be easy solutions. Uh, sometimes they're not, and sometimes we do not get answers in this life. And perhaps not in the life to come. So, again, this is stressing. Moses is writing this, so this is stressing Moses will being subservient to God's will. Um, and he would later write, we just read from Psalm 91, but turn with me to Psalm 90. Moses would write this particular psalm. <clears throat> he says, Lord, you have been a dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You, as, as you read this psalm, you 
there is a distinct difference between the, the writing of Moses and the writing of David. Um, so Moses is, we think he's writing this toward the end of his life. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. Like a watch in the night, you carry them away like a flood, they are like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up, in the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. And Jesus would use a portion of this in his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified. You set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. This is one of the, the, the clues that he's writing this as an elderly man. The days of our lives are 70 years and if by reason of strength they're 80 years. Okay, so... Moses lived to be 120, so he's far past this now. Um, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for, and it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? Whereas the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Okay, Regardless of length of life, let's be responsible and what you've provided for us. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants, O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad in our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. What a great close. Let the beauty of the Lord, our God, be upon us. What a remarkable psalm that Moses wrote. He is the only man in uh, the Old Testament that spoke to God and the We'll talk about this when we get to the latter part of the book of Exodus, face to face. Now that's obviously um, an illusionary type of thing. Only man. And so this is what he, he writes at his later years. So answer the, if, you, if you were to ask the question, did Moses learn to... Uh, subjugate his will to God's will? I think the answer to that is yes, he did. Now, it took him a while, as, as it does all of us, but he did learn that. Let's go back to chapter 6. I'm going to read down through verse 13. We won't finish this portion this evening, but um, let's, let's read this. This is the Lord's answer to Moses. And there's a lot of this that goes on through these first few chapters. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. With a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them 
Yet in the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groanings of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from the bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And with great judgments, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as an heritage. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of the anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of this land. And Moses spoke before the Lord saying, the children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So as you read this, chapter 5 is pretty much a parenthesis between the end of chapter 4, or basically chapter 4, and what we see here in chapter 6. So it was a test. Moses and Aaron go in, and they say, uh, let our folks go, and let, uh, they want to hold a feast to, to uh, Yahweh in the wilderness. And then, chapter 5 and verse 2, Mo, uh, Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And in chapter 6 and verse 1, the Lord answers this to Moses. He says, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh this. So he doesn't deal with Pharaoh directly. He deals with his deliverer. He deals with his prophet. And he tells Moses, you'll see what I will do to Pharaoh. The strong hand he'll let you go. The strong hand he'll drive them out of the land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. That's all Pharaoh needs to know. I'm not going to give you a great long litany of why I'm the Lord, why I'm God, why I'm more powerful. Just tell him, I am the Lord. And what, what unveils here, we'll begin to see it tonight and it'll carry over in the, in the miracles. Is, and notice what he says. He says, um, verse 3, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, Jacob, as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, that's Yahweh. He appeared as Adonai. He did not appear as Yahweh, the covenant God. Even though he made covenants, the name Yahweh is I am that I am, and that was only revealed to Moses in chapter 3. So there's this continual revelation. Doesn't make him any less God, doesn't make him any more God. That's just the way that the Lord had uh, presented himself to the patriarchs and now the way he presents himself to Moses and Aaron. Moses is discouraged. We, we see that clearly in chapter 5. And he's discouraged because 
Pharaoh, uh, he stood before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, I'm not going to do that. You, know, you guys get out of here. And not only that, but I'm going to multiply the sufferings of your people. They have to make brick. Now they're going to have to gather the straw to make brick. And so being good Baptist people, we notice that in um, verse 9 it says that Moses spoke to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses. They are discouraged as well. Their labor had been uh, intensified. So they're only looking to the end of their noses. And this begins to be unveiled here in these next few chapters. Part of the issue here, and this is the issue with Moses, it's also the issue with the children of Israel, as they were too impressed with Pharaoh and they were suspicious of God. You remember two or three weeks ago we talked about suspicion being one of the results of sin? And so instead of being suspicious of Pharaoh and being impressed with God, they had it turned backwards. And this happens to all of us. The Lord has put me in this situation. Well, did he really want me to be in this situation? I mean, really? So the Lord reiterates several times in in this passage that he is the Lord. And if you go back to chapter 3, we talked about this uh, briefly in uh, verses 12 through 14. Uh, The Lord said uh, to Moses, I will certainly be with you. This shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. That is a promise. When you bring the people out of Egypt. Now, he didn't tell Moses the time span. And more often than not, God does not give us a time span. So it was left to Moses to be obedient to what God called him to do. It is left to us to be obedient to what God's called us to do. The timing of it, remember, no time with God. We have time, and we have to do everything on time. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. But God is never late. He's never early. So he responds, Moses said to the Lord, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say, The God of your fathers has sent me. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. I'm Yahweh. I am the eternal existent one. Um, And he says you to tell him, I am has sent me. I am the different name here in verse 3 of chapter 6. <clears throat> now, one of the things that Lord, that the Lord is also teaching Pharaoh, I mean, excuse me, well, Pharaoh too, but Moses especially, is patience. You go to chapter 3, you see what takes place in chapter 4, first 17 verses of Moses being much like a child. I can't do this, I can't speak, I can't do this, I can't do that. I'm just ill-equipped and so forth. And finally, the anger of the Lord was kindled against him. And uh, Moses said, whoa, maybe I should step back here. And that perhaps is what he's remembering when he writes Psalm 90. 
But the patience that Yahweh had with Moses in chapter 4, and we also see here in chapter 6. Now, when you think about it, Moses is, uh, Moses is God's prophet. When you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, you look at Moses, you look at Elijah, uh, you look at uh, Nathan, many, many others, Ezekiel and so forth. You look at these prophets, you find that their, their um, conversation that is had with, with God is unique. Uh, prophets were obviously chosen by the Lord, and they had this unique ability to listen to God, to take, to take uh, what he had, um, what he was telling them and put it into to uh, chapter and verse that we see. They also had this exposure to the Lord that many of the others, many of others did not have. Nathan was the prophet with David, and uh, Nathan was a very bold prophet, as was Moses from time to John the Baptist, very bold prophet. But they had this communication that David didn't have. Moses, being a prophet, had a unique communication uh, with the Lord. And so they had this, that, this ability to, to listen to the Lord. They also had this ability to, to convey their heart. Now, the Lord knows their heart, but they convey their heart to him. Jesus, obviously, was a prophet, and he did that many times in the New Testament. So Moses, God is teaching Moses patience. And just because the deliverance had not been uh, brought to fruition doesn't mean that God is either through with Moses or with Pharaoh or with the children of Israel. And so this is a, um, we talk about learning curves. This is a, a, a gigantic learning curve for Moses. Now, the Lord is very patient with him throughout this entire time. Now, um, Pharaoh, we think, at this point in time, was probably the, uh, uh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, but he was still a man. Moses and the children of Israel were indeed uh, impressed with Pharaoh, but God's patient with him, and God's patience doesn't mean that he changes. God does not adjust his patience to make changes to what he, his will demands. His patience is that I am God, I understand Moses is man, I will teach him, I will respond to him, but I'm not going to change my mind. I'm going to deliver the Hebrew people, and I'm going to deliver them through Moses. So when God is patient with us, we must remember that. If we're waiting on God for something, he's not going to change his mind. The scripture is excruciatingly clear about this. If God says he's going to judge the sinners, and he's patient with sinners, yet and still he will judge them. He's not going to change his mind. So we see that here 
in the life of Moses. We see it in the life of David. Uh, we even see it as we read just a few moments ago in Hebrews uh, chapter 5. So what grace that we see here in these first opening verses of chapter 6. He says, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do with Pharaoh. And he says, with a strong hand, he will not let them go. He's going to try to hold on to them. And that's just part of it. He says, however, he will, because he's strong, because he's stubborn, when that stubbornness reaches its, its pinnacle, he's also going to cause you to leave. And he does. And he tells Moses to leave rapidly. In fact, when we get to the Passover passage in, uh, in the book of Exodus here, we will see that the Lord tells Moses, listen, this is the last plague. You be ready to go because when Pharaoh says leave, you're going to leave. You're not going to be saying, bye-bye, Granny. Bye-bye, Granddaddy. Bye-bye, all these folks. He says you leave. Pack up. Be ready to go because he's going to drive you out of the land. And he does. He drives them out of the land. He follows them to the Red Sea. And, of course, we know that story as well. In this passage, in these verses, uh, verse 2 through 8, he reiterates the Abrahamic covenant. Okay? Yahweh is the covenant God. And so he, again, strengthens that covenant with to uh, Moses for the Hebrew people. What we're beginning to see here is these people have been slaves for hundreds of years. As far back as they can remember, they've known nothing but slavery. They don't know how to be a free people. The freedom that God is going to grant them comes with the establishment of another covenant, which is the Mosaic Covenant, which is the law. So yes, I'm going to free you, but I'm also going to expect you to be responsible because I'm going to give you the codification of my character and I will make this covenant with you that will always be established. So the law again doesn't save, but it is a reflection of the character of God. Only Jesus saves. So he re reiterates the Abrahamic covenant to Moses here. He's patient with Abraham and his progeny. Uh, we study the book of Genesis and you see the issues with Abraham, with Isaac, especially with Jacob. But they never received the promise. So I want to close tonight. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> some of the most remarkable uh, words I think found in, in the Bible in the New Testament verse 8 <clears throat> by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would, could receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going now listen Abraham was not a Jew. He was Gentile. He was a moon worshiper, not Jewish. There are no Jews until you get to on the other side of the Red Sea. 
He was referred to as a Hebrew, but it was not of a Jewish ancestry. From him came the Jewish ancestry. So he's called out of a pagan land. The book here says, he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Or he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He dwelt in a land, but never possessed the land. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. She bore a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, Abraham, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore, metaphoric, metaphorically speaking. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promise. So the promise made Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob their project is about to be fulfilled. But the covenant that was made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, none of them saw the fulfillment of that promise. God is true to his word. We'll find out later on in the book of, Gen uh, book of Exodus that he talks about uh, be sure that you teach your children to the fourth generation. In other words, that you continue to teach your children about what's taking place here. So we'll start to see this unveil here in chapter 6. Any comments or questions on what we've covered this evening? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your covenants. We thank you that, as Jesus said, if you, um, <clears throat> he that believes in the Son of Man is indeed free. And so we thank you this evening that our freedom is bound up in Jesus Christ. Teach us to be responsible with the freedom that you've provided to us. Bless, I pray, every individual that is here. I pray that you would bring us back safely when we can study your word together. In Jesus' name we pray.